Welcome to Gen Z Money, episode 19. The biggest thing you can do is get good at finding opportunities. So for me, I like to define opportunities as any moment where you can find a yes when someone else is saying no, right? So if someone says no, and they're not saying that something's impossible, they're probably saying something's difficult or it'll take too long or it's too annoying or they just don't want to do it. And you should really listen to that because there's money there. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Gen Z Money, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today we have an awesome, awesome, awesome guest on the podcast by the main name of Miss Kat Rucker, okay? She is a borderline Gen Z slash millennial who is also in a finance space where she just has an awesome story about learning finances and, you know doing some pretty amazing things along the way and taking some risks. But I really don't want to give away her story because it's it's very, very, very entertaining. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this, guys. Let's just go ahead and get right into her interview. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. What's going on, Kat? Welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I really appreciate you coming on this morning and, and having a conversation because I follow you on Twitter and you're always putting out so many good questions and so much good information. And I've read a couple of your blog posts and that's why I wanted you to come on and just talk about the whole finance worlds around, you know, your perspective. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I try to lead with questions as much as possible because I think through questions you start to explore yourself a little bit. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I always like to ask questions because you always get to the deeper meaning of things instead of just making, you know, broad statements and hoping people agree with you. You end up getting such a wider variety of information that way. But let's start with the questions, right? So let's go back to little cat, right? Cat, fifth grade cat, sixth grade cat. How was money talked about and viewed as you grew up? Really good question. So um, when I think back to, I guess, fifth grade, well, for starters, I try not to think too back, too far back to it sometimes. Fifth grade, it was like a whole new universe because um, for us, we were really uh, exploring interpersonal relationships. And I think that one of the things that I think about the most really goes back to um, my dad and what he was telling me about money, about taking care of your finances, and really about how you interact um, with the world around you as well. And so um, for my, my personal development, my parents had an ice cream store when I was growing up. So I spent a lot of time having more of a hands-on experience with like how businesses are being run, how to handle like the cash flows. Um, even before fifth grade, we're talking like five-year-old cat. Um, my dad had me working the cash register at the family business. Um, so that's, I know, <laughs> that's really where it all started. <laughs> That, oh, that puts a lot of trust in a five-year-old. That's Okay, so they, they were business owners. So 
would you say money was never like a taboo topic? You were kind of always, because if they were expressing you, you know, if they were, you were experiencing like cash transactions and cash registers, that's a pretty good starting step in to start understanding how to manage money and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I would, I would literally count the till with my dad in the evenings. I would count back cash to the, the customers. Um, I would do it all. And so even really young, my dad was showing me how to like write a check, um, how to take control of finances. I think that he was always concerned that like, I, you know, I was his only child um, and, and a daughter to boot. And so I think he was always concerned about giving me a good foundation where I would always be able to take care of myself um, should I need to. And so, you know, you don't think about it at a young age, um, but my father was always doing money lessons along the way. So it was a very frequent topic in our household. Oh, that I'm, that's so relieving to hear, honestly. You know, as I've been interviewing guests on the podcast, you don't really hear that often where I, I've, I've heard it a couple of times where money was talked about in a, in a positive light and education was going as people were coming up in age. But yeah, that's just awesome to hear that they started from a very, very early age, understanding money, understanding transactions. So if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? So I'm 26 now. Um, I started my first business when I was 24 years old. Um, so yeah, thanks dad for, <laughs> for teaching me young. Um, so it's, yeah, it's always been a part of uh, how I've lived my life. And, you know, I think that really where my dad taught me these things was that, you know, we didn't always have a lot growing up. Um, if you think about the ice cream industry in and of itself, it has its own, it's a seasonal business, right? There's, there's summer where things are great. There's winter when things are less so. Um, so it, yeah, it's always something you had to be aware of um, and learn about growing up. Okay. So with that being said, was there ever really, because I like to figure out the turning point but do you mm -hmm. think there was even a turning point because you were able to start so early you had entrepreneurial parents and you understand mm -hmm. you understood that money comes in waves you know there's good times and there's bad times so these are really really strong lessons to learn at such an early age so was there ever a point where you felt like you didn't have control of your finances and that you needed to get back in control Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so, you know, there's always this saying like knowledge is power, right? Um, but sometimes with that knowledge, you end up taking leaps into the unknown because you're curious. And so for me, um, my parents, when I was about 15 years old, I think what, around sophomore year of high school, um, my parents were starting to go through a divorce. And anyone who's ever gone through a divorce with their parents, it's a, a hard situation. Um, kids come out of it in all sorts of different ways. For me personally, I had a lot of depression, not going to lie. Um, there was the depressive period, but then there was the, okay, what am I going to do with my life period? Um, and for me, that was actually graduating from high school two years early. Um, and so I actually was like thrust into adulthood a bit sooner than anticipated just because I felt somewhat ready, as ready as you can feel um, to take those kinds of things on. So when I started City College, I was about, it was like a week or something after my 17th birthday um, when I moved out. And so even though like mentally you're like, okay, I'm ready to tackle school 
you're never really fully ready to tackle money <laughs> and rent and bills and all of those things. So even though in a way I was like kind of prepared, um, I think I was thrust into financial management quite a bit earlier than, than even I had anticipated. So at the age of 17, you know, people don't really understand what they want to do in life. So it's a lot to ask of someone. So starting college so early, what was your plan going in? Like what degree did you, what field did you want to get into? And did that end up changing? Yeah. So um, for fields, I kind of went into City College um, knowing that I needed to get the core requirements done. So I focused on those first. Um, but also I knew I was really good at English and I was like, okay, well, we'll do that. Um, so that kind of carried me through City College. Um, I think I ended up being a communications major um, during my time at City College because I, I love to talk. <laughs> that has not changed. Um, and then when I transferred to UC Berkeley, they actually didn't have um, a communications program. So I transitioned um, to rhetoric, which is all about speaking, persuasion, kind of a very similar um, line of thought as well. And so at least when it comes to schooling, I kind of went with the flow. I never really fell into that um, thought process of, oh, don't follow your passion because you need to follow the dollars. Um, I think I've always kind of fallen into the camp of, you know, go with what you're good at, hone your skills, right? Um, you can find a way to monetize that later. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, but I really think that, you know, there's your strong suit and there's always a way to maximize that. Okay. You know what? Yeah. I, I, I think that that's a great point that you bring up the fact that, you know, you shouldn't always follow the dollars because the money isn't going to bring you fulfillment and happiness in life. You have to be doing what you're passionate about. Do you think, though, with that, there is an apex to where some people might be passionate about something that is very hard to make profitable? And For sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you can like you can very like follow your passion to a point where it just doesn't make sense anymore. Um, so you it's really kind of an advanced thing to do, I guess, in college where you're you're trying to be like, OK, this is what I like, but can I make money out of it? Um, and ultimately, it's, it's kind of you have to flip a coin to a certain extent on some things because you're young, you only have so much experience um, and you kind of have to go with your gut on some things, um, you know. I think music would be a good example or theater arts. Um, but we've always heard like these stories of people who are like um, bussing tables and they want to be an actor and then they make it big and they always had the confidence in themselves. Um, so it's really up to you to use logic, use your gut and then figure out what makes the most sense. For me, I always have plan A, B, and C cooking <laughs> so that there's never like one plan in place um, where it's like, okay, I put all my eggs in this basket. I better become, you know, a dancer or, I mean, heck, even like STEM careers, you know, you can fail your classes, right? You should always kind of have other options and really know what the variety of your strengths are, right? Don't pigeon you hold yourself to like, I am cat and I am good at English. It's like, I am cat, I'm good at English, I'm good at speaking, I'm good at like taking care of animals, you know, whatever it may be, you're a multifaceted person and you should also try and explore those other avenues that you have. Because um, ultimately, 
a side hustle comes originally from a passion a lot of the times, right? You can turn a lot of things into money. And I think YouTubers are a great example of that, right? So many of them are just vlogging their day-to-day -day life. And yet we've seen the kind of money that those jobs can now bring. And now we do consider them jobs, right? So you never know um, where you can make that income. Yeah. I mean, uh, you brought up a great point. It's like, there is an apex. I, I always tell people, you should always be doing what you're passionate about, right? Um, you should always find what you're good at and your passion and find something that aligns with both. But as you alluded to, do not put all of your eggs in one basket, right? Have a way to support yourself while also doing your passion. For example, this podcast, like this is a passion of mine. I love talking to people about finances and hearing their stories and stuff like that. But I don't just quit my day job and do this every single day because right now it's not feasible. And mm -hmm. at some point it could become uh, what I want it to be, but you have to find that there's a very thin line between being logical and being uh, delusional. You know, people mm -hmm. oftentimes they, they fall into this delusional state. It's like, if, if I build it, they will come. If I get this degree, there will be a demand and it's not always the case, unfortunately. So I'm glad that you, you brought that up, that there is an apex to where your passions meet the, the logic of the world. Yeah. So like with my blog, and I want to bring this up because, you know, I think that this is one of the passions that I was hoping would bring me a lot of money. Um, but, you know, realistically, I've been blogging for a while and it brings me pennies. Are they the most exciting pennies in the world? No, right? But they're money, they're money that really just comes in without me having to do anything, right? Um, and so that's what's really cool about it is that even though it's a passion project that maybe isn't taking off, it's taught me so much that I've actually um, moved into my, my career, my business, and like all of the things that I've learned through blogging is applicable in different ways. And even through blogging, I've gotten the opportunity to do like freelance writing. Um, I found some clients for my sales consulting business through the blog. And so it's like, you start to build these translatable skills that really can have a huge impact down the line. Um, because I think one of the most important things is that you just need to get out there and start doing things, right? Um, maybe it doesn't always make you money, but you're picking up skills that often impacts your life in ways that you can't anticipate. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's what I always tell people, like, it doesn't matter where you're starting from, just get started. Figure out what you want to do. If you want to be an artist and you want to sell art, start painting, start drawing, doing these things. People might not buy it for the first year. They might not buy it for the first five years. But at some point, it can become lucrative. You just have to stick to it long enough. Mm -hmm. That's so, exactly it. So my final question on that topic, uh, were you accumulating student loan debt as you were going through college? Oh, accumulating and it's still following me. <laughs> yes. Oh, for sure. Um, I remember my first semester of college, bless my heart. I was so young and naive at 17. Um, I thought that I could make it in California off of grant money, <laughs> like the money that you're giving. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my budget was like under 1,500 and over 500 of that was rent. <laughs> um, yeah, California is expensive. I was living in Santa Barbara during city 
college. Um, in my first semester, I just, I, I had a budget. I went grocery shopping, never ate out. I had one hot chocolate a week for, for four bucks. It was a luxury and I looked forward to it. And my first semester, no student loans. Every semester after, yes, <laughs> student loans. So uh, definitely had to take on a few of those to make my way through school. <laughs> okay. And then what, at the end of your you know, college experience, what did the total of your student loans end up being? I think when I left, I was a little over 25,000, um, might be around 28, definitely didn't hit past 30. Um, but I started paying them off while I was in school, which is why I'm not quite too sure on the total. Um, I kind of heard through the grapevine, like, hey, if you have debt, you should at least try to pay like the interest. Um, so when I was in college, that's what I was doing is whenever I found a spare whatever, <laughs> I would try to, to pay down a few bucks of interest as I went along. Um, so yep, that was my uh, my two years, at, well, three years at City College and then two years um, at a, a four-year university. Yeah, and that's actually, that's not the first time somebody's brought that up, the whole paying the interest off. Because, I mean, it is compounding over time. So it does make sense to at least try, make it a goal to pay the interest off. That's not the first mm -hmm. time I've heard that. So, okay. Well, with that being said, let's transition into the next thought that I want to, you know, pick your brain on. What is, well, let's start with what is your current debt load? And then what is your opinion on this debt load? Because, because. Let's be honest. I, I know it, it can kind of be an embarrassing topic to bring up, but uh, so many people can relate to it. So yeah, we no, I'm happy. Let's yeah. let's let it all out. Um, so currently I still have twenty thousand dollars in student loans. And so I've been out of university. I graduated in 2017. It's now 2022. Um, so that's about what five years or so that I've been out of school. Um, as far as my thoughts on the student loans, I have quite a few different thoughts on it. Um, so early on, I made the choice, right? Some people are kind of all the, in the camp of all debt is awful. Get rid of it as quickly as possible, right? And they throw every spare cent at getting rid of, rid of the loans. For me, I'm more in the camp of I would rather invest, um, particularly being in California, where my income was relatively high-ish, um, and there was just a lot of tax advantages to stuffing money into a 401k, um, so I went for that, and so it was really a trade-off um, with that. So the first two years out of, out of college, I was actually aggressively paying off my student loans while investing in my 401k, um, which has been really wonderful. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, but I spent about two years paying off, say, around 5000 in the student loans, quit my job, and ended up um, traveling the world. And the nice thing about that is all of the money that I put into investments has almost doubled in that amount of time, which is a way better <laughs> return on investment um, than had I paid off the student loans, especially considering, you know, the world events, um, my student loans are at a 0% interest rate right now, which has been really beautiful. <laughs> um, so that's kind of my philosophy on it. I'm the camp of invest, um, but I still try and, and throw a good chunk of change at the student loans when it makes sense. 
Okay, and then uh, let's talk about other debts, car loans, uh, credit cards. Do you have any and what's your opinion on those? As of two months ago, I am debt free except for my student loans. <laughs> okay, congratulations. So how much, how much debt was, was there and how much did you pay off? Um, so when I started traveling the world, I took out, um, I had like credit cards, right? And so some of them that I had were a 0% interest rate, um, because it was kind of like a cost benefit analysis for me. And so it made sense at the time. Um, so I took out throughout my travels in 2019, around $15,000 was put on a credit card and I paid that off in less than a year. Okay, and we're, we're going to get into your, your family <laughs> a little bit for that's okay, but that's that's that, a that, lot that, to unpack. I know <laughs> that is, yeah, 15k, but paying it off in one year. Okay, so well, I that, traveled for one year, so 15k for one year of travel. So, okay, well, we have to dig into that now, we can't dig into it later. <laughs> so, how did you manage to? Not only did how okay, well, I guess it's it's a very simple answer how you managed to accumulate $15,000 traveling. How did you manage to pay off $15,000 while traveling? Yeah, so I started my own business in a nutshell. Um, so when I quit my job to travel, it was um, it was almost 2019 and what had happened was I was towards the end of the year. I actually had one of those moments um, where I really just was, it was actually funny. You mentioned it, I think um, in your podcast, one of your podcast intros, it's the phrase, like, if you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, and that's where I was at. I was really unhappy with like my career, uh, my personal life, just like everything. I just really was, I was, I was done. I was tired of complaining. Right. And so um, I saw an opportunity. I kind of up and quit my job one day and I was just like, oh, no, I live in like the Bay Area <laughs> and I have like enough money to last me a month. Right. Like three, maybe four thousand dollars, which in the Bay Area really is a month's worth of expenses. And I was really sad. <laughs> And then I was just thinking about it. And, you know, I've always looked at flights, but I had never really traveled. And I was like, $3,000 gets you a lot further in almost every other part of the world than California. And so that's what I did. I, uh, I cashed in, essentially. Um, I knew I was getting some final paychecks, a bonus check. Um, I knew that good old sweet tax return was coming. Um, and in California, you pay your first month's rent, uh, last month's rent is security deposit. So I knew that month's rent was covered and I would get some money back. Um, so I was like, what the heck? I'll use some credit card points for the flight. I'll fly to Barcelona for $350 of credit card points. Um, and I will see how far this three to 4k plus bonus in, uh, you know, tax return can take me. Um, but I knew I would probably go longer than just a few months. And I knew if I was going to take a few months off, that was the best opportunity to try and build a business. Um, so I did take out some credit cards. I'm not proud of it. I'm not endorsing it. Okay. <laughs> I know the personal finance world has a lot of opinions. Don't do what I did. It was dumb, <laughs> 
but it was, I was, you know, I was like, what, 23. And I knew that if I went back home, I could probably get a pretty decent paying job. Um, so I calculated out how much I would be willing to spend um, and how long it would potentially take me to pay that off. Um, so that's really where the $15,000 number came from is that I knew that it would only take me around a year um, if I were to say, go back home, pick up my old job um, to pay that off. And so I gave myself a year and I traveled to over 12 countries in that year, um, started my business, ended up turning my business into something sustainable. <laughs> And I've not returned home because it happened to pay off. So, <laughs> okay. So, okay. <laughs> so let's rewind a little bit through a couple of things you said. So I like how you acknowledge the risk you took and you realize there was many different things that made that risk pay off. Some of it may have been luck, but some of it was also your due diligence. You did, you know, looking uh, gathering information on where you could go and, and live for cheaper and things like that. So it's not all luck. There had, there was some, um, skill involved in it, at least some past knowledge. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was yeah, just yeah. scary at the time, but yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't going into it with like that thought process of we credit card let's go there was there was some sort of a game plan um somewhat in place whether i knew it would work or not debatable but uh i i had some some more than hopes and dreams going into it yeah but the thing the, the thing i want to point out is you took the risk and mm -hmm. a lot of times i think um when people take risk especially big risk like you're taking you know financing your life on credit cards and moving to a different countries and these are all very big risks. And sometimes I think that making those risks require success, meaning you kind of have no choice, right? It's either, it's either yeah. sink or swim, you know? <laughs> you don't want to be stuck in Barcelona not being able to afford a ticket back. Uh, but you also mentioned that even though you took the risk, you realize like, okay, I'm going to take this risk. And if all else fails, I have this option, this option, this option, you know, move back, uh, pay it off within a year and, and do what basically you expressed, which I think is awesome because there's two types of people, right? There's people who are, there's three types of people. There's people who jump into risky things and just hope it all works out and they have no backup plan. There's people who never leave their comfort zone and they end up uh, just staying in the same spot, running on a rat wheel. And then there's people like you who take the risk, but you also realize, you know, I need a plan just in case this doesn't pay off. But in your circumstance, it paid off. So yeah, I, I, I love that story. So, you know, spoiler alert, where did you end up landing after this whole year of traveling and getting your business started and things like that? Yeah, so um, through a series of random and crazy events, which if anyone who's traveled long term, that's basically the story of your life. Um, I ended up settling down in Cambodia. Um, so for the last three years, I've been based out of Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and been running my business from here, I'm usually working with clients based out of the US, um, some based 
out of this side of the world as well. So I uh, just really, you know, been bunkered down ever since, you know, the crazy events of 2020 <laughs> um, and looking forward to being able to visit home very soon. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I, I, I completely forgot about the whole 2020 pandemic thing. Like, that might not have been where. So, so did you want to stay in Cambodia or was it kind of like, I'm here, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to make the best out of it. Well, so, you know, it's funny because we, you just mentioned how cool it was to like take these calculated ish risks. Right. And it's like, oh, you have like, like I said before, plan A, plan B, plan C, and you're trying to make it work. But there's some things that just happen in life that you couldn't plan for. And for me, um, while I was traveling, I actually met my fiance. And so that's part of why I am still out in Cambodia, because we've just built a life here um, and we're actually getting married in July. So just just a few months down the road um, and visiting California very soon. So he can meet my father like face to face and do all of the things. Um, so yeah, life just really is unpredictable. Like when I started traveling, did I expect to run a business at 24? Nope, not quite. I mean, I had hoped. Um, did I expect to, to fall in love? Nope, did not expect that while traveling the world. And did I expect to live in Cambodia for three years during a global pandemic? Nope life really just uh kind of gets away from you sometimes but in the best ways that that's awesome congratulations on getting married and again i just take it back to it's all none of this would have happened if you had not taken the risk taken the calculated risks that you did so got that congratulations on the marriage and everything i hope everything works out where you guys can travel back you know with everything going on in the world at the time we're recording this in march you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but I. Oh, yeah. I no, not a clue. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even want to know. I try not to think about it anymore, to be honest. <laughs> we just roll with the punches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. OK, so Kat, uh, and real quick, what is the business that you started? Yeah, so um, my business is called Rucker Sales Consulting. And so what I do is I help a variety of like different clients. So whether it's a smaller business or even an individual trying to launch a business, um, I help them with their sales strategy. Sometimes I also step in and show them the ropes of how to build, say, like a sales pipeline. Um, and so that's really going back to, to some of the skill sets that we talked about before. You were asking a bit about like college and university and majors. And for me, me um, going into sales is very like writing heavy, communications heavy. And so I just saw that as one avenue where, hey, I have this strength. Let's go with this because there seems to be a way to, to make money there. Um, and when I quit my job to travel, you know, I had to rely on my strengths. And I was like, you know what? If I can book meetings for these companies, why can't I book meetings for myself? Um, and eventually that turned into, wait, I can show other people how to book meetings as well. Um, so the business really took on a life of its own, um, but it's really just centered around helping small business owners find ways to succeed. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, and that question leads into the next topic I wanted to uh, cover, which is you post a lot on your Twitter about increasing your income with side hustles and starting businesses. And so relatively speaking, you started side hustles and businesses relatively early in your life at the age of 24. So, mm -hmm. and, and a part of a big part of, you know, 
Gen Z money is targeting those people who are 24, 25 and younger in order to increase their income, start side hustles, start businesses and, and really um, find their passions. So my question for you is, how does someone go about identifying their passion and mm -hmm. skills? Yeah, I think it goes down to what, what do you, what are you good at and what do you enjoy doing? Right. Um, so there's pretty much a way to monetize basically everything. If you've watched, what are they called? Mukbangs, you can monetize your passion for eating snacks on camera. Um, so it's, it's really just focus in on what do you love and how can you share that with people? Um, I've even heard like this phrase, it's called niches get riches, I believe. And so it's really like, even the more specific your skill can be almost the better because there's sometimes less competition in, um, what you're doing. And so, you know, it might not pay off quickly, but if it's something that you love doing and it's something that you can stick with, it's something that kind of grows over time and you can really learn from as well. Um, and so for me, again, back to, to blogging, that's really led to like a wealth of opportunities that I, I would have never thought to do. Like I would have never thought to do freelance writing, um, even one-on-one -on -one consulting that was through the blog before I was just working with businesses. Um, so there's just quite a few different things that you can do, but it really just focuses in on what are you passionate about and how can you find a way to share that with the world? I, man, I, I love, I love what you just said. So, because uh, I, I want you to elaborate a little bit more because a lot of times people don't know what they're passionate about. Like, they don't understand how to figure out, like they might, it's a lot easier, for example, it's a lot easier for me to tell my wife what I think she's good at than it is for her to realize what she's good at. And so a lot of times when we have these skills, when we have these passions, they're hard to even identify, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I'll, 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 um, I'll elaborate a little bit on my personal situation on how I ended up with this podcast. Um, I started drive. So I always, uh, I love finances. I loved helping people financially and I love listening to it. And I didn't really understand how I could help other people. So mm -hmm. my first course of action was, is like, okay, uh, when I got out of the military, I started driving trucks and I realized that it's very lucrative. You can make a good income and you can make good money off of it. And so instantly I thought, okay, what I should do is I should become a truck driving instructor. And mm -hmm. then someone asked me like, why would you want to become a truck driving instructor? You know, your passion isn't truck driving. And I was like, no, my passion is getting people in a predicament where they're making enough money to not only save money, but they're also living, at, they're not living paycheck to paycheck. And truck driving is a way to do that. And then I was talking to them more and they're like, okay, but again, your passion isn't truck driving. It is getting people to save money, to invest and do all that. So why not go directly towards that? And it was like mm -hmm. a light bulb moment. It's like, I thought what I was going for, which was being an instructor, teaching people uh, a skill in order to make money and invest money. But really my passion is to teach people how to make more money and invest money. Mm -hmm. so that, that's- yeah. 
No, that's really interesting. Like, let's unpack that a little bit more as well. Cause like to your point, James, like the first thing that you said was like, how do you find your passion when you don't know what you're passionate about? And then you mentioned your wife, right? But that's like, that's the perfect example of like, maybe you don't know what you're passionate about because you're so busy going through it, right? Life, whatever it may be, ask the people around you and they will very quickly tell you what they think of you, their perception, what they think think you're good at, what they think you can improve on, even if you don't want to know it sometimes, you know, people will let you know. And so that can give you a, like a good little tip on, on what your passion is. Um, the other thing that you were saying is like, it really sounds like you had like a why you didn't get to that. Why until like somebody was questioning you or like you were questioning yourself, like, wait, why am I actually doing this? Um, and so sometimes just going through that process of like self-evaluating, like, why am I here? Why is this going on? Why are things not going correctly? Right. That can lead you down the path. Um, I personally am, am kind of one of those why people where I'm like, why is this blowing up in my face? You know, and sometimes through the whys, you start to you start to realize things about yourself. Right. Um, and then the third thing is really. Um, maybe not quite as positive, but if you don't know what your passion is, you're not pushing yourself. And I, I hate to make it really blunt, um, but if someone can't tell you what your passion is, if you can't question yourself into what your passion is through, through discovering your why, then maybe you're not uncomfortable enough. And like, I've always found that my greatest periods of growth come from pushing myself and being in maybe not the best situations and really having to like figure out why and evolve as a person, right? And so like, if you're on your couch and you're making your, your nine to five money every day and life is all right, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really great position to be in. But if you're looking for a greater world purpose, your greater world purpose is probably not eating Cheetos on, you know, a, a Wednesday evening. Right. And so then I would encourage you, you know, pick up a book, pick up a podcast, go meet people, right. Figure out what more is going on in the world. Because I think as you grow as a person, hopefully you start to wonder what can you contribute back? And that's what I loved about your why, James, is that it's like, I like helping people, right? So how can you go do that? Yeah, you, you made a perfect point and it completely just blew me away, right? It's all about <laughs> self-reflection, right? If someone else can't identify your path, like you can always look for the to the people you love to help you understand your passions and your skills because they're the people who are observing them every day. But if you're not able to self-reflect, and understand, like, like, ask yourself, why am I doing this? And you might give yourself a BS answer. Like, hey, why? 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 And you mm -hmm. go three, four, five whys down, you really get to the root of your passions and your skills. I think the hardest part for people is when you're constantly in a survival mindset, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you're just trying to make it to the next payday it's really hard to self-reflect because your mind is only in survival mode instead of thrive mode. And you have to be in the thrive mentality in order to maximize your passions and your skills. So that's a great point. Oh yeah. Oh, I agree. I remember like times throughout college where like I had like $10 in my bank account. 
you know, and I was like, oh, cool. We gotta, we gotta figure out rent. <laughs> and I can guarantee you, I was not wine myself into self-realization. Right. And sometimes these things just like they take time and, and to your credit, like it's also about stability. Um, so maybe when you're trying to figure out your why it's less about like, what's going to fulfill me. Right. Isn't there like a, what Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever, basically figure out your rent, figure out your food, and then you'll start to be in a position where you can figure out like this, this greater purpose. Right. But sometimes it's like, Hey, in uni, I remember, you know, working three jobs. I had like one shift that went till 2 a.m. and I'd wake up for another shift at like 7 a.m. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get out of like that, what fight or flight mode. And then don't worry about your why if that's the case, right? It, you can figure that out later. Take care of yourself. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to uh, bring that back on your story, right? You, even though you were not in the place you wanted to be when you decided to go traveling and stuff, but you also weren't in your fight or flight mode. You had some savings, right? You had some cushion that you knew you could survive at least another 30 days. And I think that's enough to, you know, be able to take risks. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I think anytime someone starts a business out of desperation, instead of out of a comfortable place because uh i think mm -hmm. i related back to a saying like uh you can smell a desperate salesperson a mile away mm -hmm. right when someone's trying to sell you something just to survive you get it you receive the energy much different from someone who is selling it because not only do they believe in the product but they're also passionate about it and they really want and they really think it's going to be the best for you and mm -hmm, so I mm -hmm. think when you're in that position, when you're starting a business or you're uh, trying to create a side hustler and things like that, you know, when you're in a nice financial position doing it, you end mm -hmm. up being more sincere about it and people trust Yeah. You. Well, and that's the interesting thing about starting a business is like, I didn't really like, I mean, I kind of had like a vague idea that I would be doing a venture of some sort, but I honestly thought it was going to be the, the blog that was going to bring in the big bucks for me. Um, but you know, I was really just like, I, I had, I think I had a month or two to decompress where I really was just like, la -da, around the world, you know, that kind of situation. Um, but then, you know, what people don't talk about or what, what's not seen a lot of the times is that you don't just have a business one day, right? Like before you have a business for a lot of people, you might start out, out like on Upwork or Fiverr, right? You might do some freelancing of some sort. For me, my business originally wasn't even sales consulting. I literally was like, I need to figure out how to make money. The fastest way I can think of to do so is to offer my services as a virtual assistant. And that was originally what my business was. And I reached out to people to do virtual assistant work, spoke with them, realized all of them wanted actually sales related work and saw my opportunity. Right. And so it's, it's never like as, as sweet and pretty as like, I started my business and on like December 7th, there it was, you know, there's, there's so much struggle that goes into it. Um, and a lot of it is just really, yeah, like it, 
a certain amount of fight or flight as well, where it's like, I have no idea if this is going to work out. I've got a dream and a few bucks. Um, but you, you have to realize that like there, there's more to life for starters, like your business. This is the crazy thing about traveling. Your identity isn't your work. And in America, it's so much is, but if you travel, you know, you are not like, my name is Catherine Rucker and I'm a salesperson right? It's, it wasn't until traveling that I really explored other aspects of my identity. And with that comes its own like level of confidence, right? Where it's like, I am not just my job. And so what if I fail at my business, right? Like it'll hurt. I need to keep pursuing something, right? Because ultimately if you haven't envisioned, you kind of need to, to work towards that and overcome whatever hurdle it may be. And it never looks the way that you expect, or at least from all of the other podcasts I've listened to and YouTube videos I've consumed over, over this journey. No one ever is like, boom, I am a business owner. (laughs) It's a journey. Yeah. And you, you have to, you have to not be afraid to fail. That's, that's what you just said. I, I just, I heard you say like, you have to be prepared to fail, but failing doesn't mean stopping. Failing just means it's, it's failing is temporary. And exactly. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is such a temporary thing. And in the moment it feels like all consuming and that's what sales is. It's like, I have to make a phone call. What if they reject me? And you have to get used to this. Uh, un- you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love it. I love it. Okay. Kat. So going forward, um, you, you expressed that you're working to pay off your student loans and that's the only debt you have. And you also alluded to investing. What are your investing strategies looking like going forward? Yeah, so let's see. I think this is more to the, the student loan story. So I think I mentioned that I had, what, around 30, almost $30,000, around $28,000 of student loans. Um, when I graduated, those are down to 20,000. Um, but I actually recently, not only did I pay off the traveling credit card, but I like passed a zero net worth and scrambled on past that. Um, so I haven't actually invested in the last three years, basically since I started traveling. Um, when I left the U S I had $15,000 about in investments, um, that is now worth 25,000 plus. (laughs) just by letting it sit there. (laughs) Um, So I like how that's going and I plan on continuing to let my money sit. Um, And I am invested in primarily ETFs um, and index funds is basically what I'm doing. So it's it's a very hands-off strategy um, where instead of picking individual stocks, I put it into an index fund, which is basically like buying a little bit of every company um, in the U.S., depending on what kind of index fund you have. And so I just throw money into that and let it sit. Um, Being abroad, investing can get tricky. So if you ever go abroad, look into that. Um, And so I'm kind of figuring out my next move. So currently I'm in a hoard cash mindset. Um, And if we end up moving to the U.S. in about a year, I'm going to promptly dump all of that into the market. Um, But for now, it's it's shore up the emergency funds. Um, What 2020 taught me was 
a $1,000 emergency fund is not fun. <laughs> you, should, you should probably have a few months, as they say, three to six months uh, worth of emergency fund is, is probably a good spot to be at. Um, so firm believer in that and kind of looking to just uh, go maybe a little bit beyond that because owning your own business is also good to have a good emergency fund. <laughs> yeah, you could say that again. And even for, yeah, your business should have its own emergency fund. I mean, yeah, $1,000. See, when I'm coaching people, I always start that with $1,000 per person per household, but that is never meant to be your your permanent situation, right? That's just to, that's the starter emergency fund. And a lot of people, unfortunately, they got bit in the butt during uh, COVID because of all of the shifts that needed to be made. So, and so you, so now you're in cash store mode, but you're beefing up that emergency fund to the three to six months uh, while simultaneously, are, are you even paying on your student loans right now since they're at a zero percent and there's no interest? No, because since it's at zero percent, it's not even, it hasn't been a thought. When I was traveling, I was actually still paying my student loans. <laughs> so uh, that was fun. But yeah, it's currently at zero percent to me, definitely not a sign to pay things off. And again, with, with the investments borderline doubling in like four or five years, which I know isn't, you know, necessarily how it always goes. Um, I'm probably just going to go back straight into investing. Um, I always pay my minimums, but only when the government tells me I have to. And right now they said it's cool, 0% interest rate. Um, so, so we'll see. That's actually a bit part of why I'm, I'm kind of hoarding the cash at the moment because I, you know, I do want them gone. Um, so I'm not opposed to looking at it and saying, ah, be gone with you and just tossing the cash in it. Um, but right now it really depends. And for me, like I said, I learned a lot in 2020 as I'm sure many people um, did. I'm very grateful that, that I was in a pretty stable enough position um, or at least coming out of it, I was. Um, and so, yeah, just shoring up the emergency fund. I, I'm actually past the six months emergency fund right now, and I'm looking to, to go relatively well beyond that. Um, just because entrepreneurship, I've definitely had times where clients have not paid, been late on paying, and then of course, world events. Yeah, building it up. <laughs> gotcha. And, and I just want to point out to the viewers, like, when you hear Kat isn't paying off her student loans, you might also agree with that. But you have to also listen to listen to what she is doing. Like she's not spending that money elsewhere. She's not splurging it elsewhere. She's saving it. What happens when you save money is you give yourself the option to use it later. So yeah, exactly. It's 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 not a frivolous decision on my end. It's a very calculated decision. Um, I am always for paying off your debt, right? Because nothing is better than a guaranteed return on investment of, of not having to pay um, interest every month. And so it for me, it's really a, a cost-benefit analysis. Um, I've seen great returns on investing in myself. Um, and, and that's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about as much as they probably should is that, you know, when you're thinking of how you spend your cash, are you investing in yourself every year, right? Whether that's a course or like books, whatever learning, you know, that also can pay dividends when it comes to your earning power, what you're able to do. Um, and so 
you know, you really have to consider more than just the loan and, and what's going on with that, but pay off that high and de- interest debt. <laughs> Get rid of those credit cards. Those are fun. <laughs> exactly. I 100% agree. Okay, Kat, so we talked about a little bit of the things that you have going on within the next six months to a year, like you're getting married, you want to come back so your husband can meet your family and all that. But what are some of your short term money goals that you and your fiance, you know, uh, wish to accomplish within the next six months to a year? Yeah, so I actually had a pretty good windfall recently. Um, So it's really crazy, because I think this is the first time where I've like, I, I don't have savings goals right now. I mean, of course I won't always save money and I, I always save a similar amount each month. I actually have spending goals for once um, because I'm one of those people that will just save like to the extreme. Um, and sometimes the, the flip side of that is like, you should probably spend some on having fun, you know, updating your wardrobe, whatever it may be. Um, so for the next few months, I'm actually trying to, to be less of a, a money magnet. Well, always actually always be a money magnet <laughs> tip. Um, but rather I'm trying to focus on, on enjoying the next few months, mainly because with uh, the engagement, the wedding is coming up. So we're going to be paying for the wedding. Um, we're also going to be taking a trip to the U.S. because I haven't been home in the last three years. Um, so those are kind of like, I guess, my big goals. Um, and then when we're looking at, say, after six months to one year, I'm looking at saving around probably $15,000 or so in those six months um, to return to the U.S., Um, So that's also kind of a a bit of an investment. So it's a weird year where I'm not really looking to necessarily increase my net worth. um, But, you know, I'm investing in my relationship. I'm investing in this move back to home where I know I can earn um, a really good income. And so, yeah, not quite the investing goals that I I would usually have. um, But also, I think just really as important is, is to spend, build the life you want and then save for it. You know, it, it's so crazy that you brought that up because as soon as you started talking about like making yourself spend money, I, I instantly thought back to my situation where like I have consistently been lying to myself for the last couple of years. I'm like, I told my wife, as soon as I buy this next uh, investment property, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to buy the motorcycle, uh, buy a motorcycle I've been wanting for the last couple of years. And it's been six months since I bought that property and I still haven't bought it because I'm just saving for the next property. And I... I feel you there. I feel you yeah. there. being like a, a super duper, you know, saver. And sometimes you have to make yourself spend money. You have to make yourself enjoy it because you hear all the time about those people who become mega rich and they are absolutely miserable because they didn't enjoy the journey there. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's like this, like, how can you figure out your greater purpose if you're like in this fight or flight mode? And for me, like I used to have so much like borderline crippling anxiety. Like I kid you not, I would be up until like 4 a.m. every night for months on end thinking about my financial situation, like figuring out how I can save money, how I can like, you know, be in a better position than I was because like, I didn't have a lot, you know, um, I put myself through college with, you know, student loans and, and it, it's not 
pretty <laughs> sometimes. You guys know the student, the student diet. It's not fun sometimes. And so, you know, it just really becomes this thing where like you can almost build this anxiety around it where even once you've gotten to a point where you're more stable, you have some more money, um, you've just focused so much on, on saving that you have to really break yourself out of this like mentality to, to even enjoy it. And sometimes even spending money isn't like enjoyable. And so it's kind of like, uh, you have to recenter, you have to find balance somehow, right? No matter where you are at on your financial journey, you should try and find those, those little joys in life and, and really figure out what brings you, um, happiness. Cause, cause money is a tool, right? How can you make it work for you? Yeah, I, I love the balancing technique because there are people who live where they just spend all of their money that comes in, you know, that YOLO mentality, you only live once. And then you have those people who uh, just save every penny that comes in and they don't enjoy it. And so both of those are the left and the right extremes and the, the right place to be is in the middle. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. So Kat, what are some of the long-term goals for your finances that you'd like to accomplish within, within the next five to 10 years? And what does the finish line look like? So for me, um, I've always really, so I, for the last several years, I've been like in the, the fire movement. So financial independence, retire early. Um, I always thought I was like, I can't wait to retire. I can't wait to retire. I got to get out of it. Um, and then I started my own business and I was like, hold up. This is kind of nice. I do like working for myself. I do like being able to help other people. That's kind of cool. And so I kind of had a mental shift where it's like, do I really want to retire early? No. For me, like, it's like the, the independence part. I want to feel stable. I want to feel like I'm never going to have to go back to working for someone else, right? Where my, my income from my investments is outpacing uh, my annual expenses, essentially. And so like, just to throw random numbers out, you know, you know, if I were to continue at my current pace, I would be a millionaire in 20 years, um, which is like mind boggling, right? But my ultimate goal is to chop that down a few years. And I'd like to, to get somewhere close to that in like 13 years. Um, so I would say that's somewhat a vague North star. Um, but I'm a big believer in breaking down things into more tangible goals. Um, so for me, I've always heard the first 100K is, is the hardest. Um, so I'm trying to hit that by 30. And so I'm 26 now, almost 27. So I've got about three, three years or so to go. So that's, that's kind of all I'm focused on is hit the first big milestone, um, learn the habits and everything else will start to fall into place. So even though you have an eye on the stuff 15 years down the road, just focusing on that, that next hurdle. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But to play devil's advocate, they say that about a lot. They say the first thousand is the hardest, which I agree with. Then they say the first 10,000 is the hardest. Again, I agree with, and they say that all the way up. I mean, you're, but you're a hundred percent. It's like wherever you at are in your financial journey, the, the first milestone to hit is always the hardest, but it's once you hit that first milestone. Um, I, I just feel like it progressively gets easier because it's like, there oh, are, yeah. There are people out there that could never, that would never fathom having a $100,000 net worth. And so. For sure. Yeah. No, it's like, even now I feel like 
I still feel like a little crazy talking about it because it just, it's such a big number. <laughs> like it's such a big number, no matter what, but like, like you say, like it, it's so unfathomable because like, I haven't been there yet. Right. Um, and most people haven't. And, you know, I actually saved my first $1,000 in one month while I was still in college. And I, I think for a lot of people, that's also like insane, unfathomable, but just like, you know, I was talking about my bigger financial goals. It's like, start small. You know, I used to transfer like $5, $20 a week into my savings. I wasn't even investing, you know, but you just, it's, it's the habits, right. It's the mentality. And like, you know, I might not get to that 1 million or that 100 K, but you kind of, you got to have something to strive for. Right. (laughs) Yeah. All successful people have goals. And even if some people, some people set goals that are you know, unfathomable at un whatever that word is. I'm not gonna continue trying to say it. But yeah. Oh, I and- like I like big goals, right? Like I talk to some people and like so like I'm just like I like to be like, oh, one million, because like we all think one million, that would be great. But you know, I've talked to people who are like, oh, I want to hit my first 10 million. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what would I even do with that? Even if you listen to this is gonna sound so silly, but um, you know, Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I think she has a really like socialite, like um, a persona. She has a persona, right? There's like, she has a, a, a certain image that she used to portray, but she's really opened up a lot recently and she's gunning to, to make her billion, you know? And what a great, like what a goal, right? To, to even have that, that position where you're thinking of, of money, not in terms of, I want a thousand or a hundred thousand or a million. But if you're thinking billions and like the only difference between a lot of those people is is they dare to dream, right? Don't let yourself hold yourself back. Oh, I love that. They dare to dream. (laughs) That's a powerful one. Yeah. Let's get off this podcast and start counting money. (laughs) (laughs) We both want to be billionaires. Yeah. I was going to say now, actually I I had a guest on the podcast. I had Jabbar. I think he was on episode four uh don't quote me on that but i appreciate it but his his goal is to be a billionaire and he's he's 20 years old i think he just turned 21 and i was like man that is that is an astonishing goal i don't want it but i'm 100 sure he can do it as long as he continues to do what he's doing so i never knock people on their goals no matter how realistic they seem to me because i realize that people i mean we have people who are hundreds of billions of dollars in net worth so you can't tell me that it's not possible for anyone. That's great. And that's how it should be. Cause like, I, I have had so many times in my life where I've told people like, I mean, if you look at all the things that I've done, like I sound nuts. <laughs> like, like I remember telling people I'm going to graduate early. And everyone was like, why would you do that? You shouldn't do that. Like no matter what, like people will tell you, Oh, that doesn't make sense. You shouldn't do whatever it is. And it's just like, yeah, that will hold you back, you know, but like those people who dare to think about it, like that's where you get like the Elon Musk's of the world, right? That's where it really takes it, everything to a whole new level. And that's, what's really cool is that you get to, to kind of charter your own path. So don't let people tell you what you're going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't listen to the naysayers because a lot of times when people tell you, you can't do something really, it's saying, it's them saying, I can't do it. So you shouldn't try. And exactly so, or like i'm scared that's scary don't do it right and and i, I will I, i'm gonna play the devil's advocate and i'm gonna say it's not always 
out of negativity, right? A lot mm-hmm. of times people just want to see the best for you and they don't want to see you get hurt. And a lot of people interpret failing with getting hurt. But mm-hmm. there are people who look at failing positively compared to people who look at failure as a negative. And so it's obvious that yeah. you look at failing as a positive, but a lot of times people just want the best for you. They don't want to see you get hurt. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of time where the negativity comes from. So I, I, will, I will play devil's advocate there and say not everyone's doing it out of pure envy. You know, some people. Right, actually- right. No, that's so true. I mean, like, yeah, you have people who care from you, who care about you. Like a lot of the people who will say it are like friends and family. It's the people who are closest to you. Um, and it's, yeah, like you say, it's really out of a, a point of protection. Um, but you really have to weigh like the the pros, the cons and, and make the choice on your own. I'm really lucky in that regard because like my dad has like never told me hold back. <laughs> He's always been like, like you can do it or like put ideas into my head that like, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a rock. He's a, a source of like support and not everyone necessarily has that. And sometimes you really have to, to look at yourself as well. Right. And, and be your own source of support on these things. Cause yeah, some, some of this stuff's crazy. Like, let's be real, like a billion dollar goal. That's, that's wow. You know? Um, but Hey, if you think you can do it, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I'm going to go ahead and second. Yeah, thing you did was crazy. I wouldn't do it. But again, that that's a part of taking risk. Look at where it's gotten you. You know what I mean? So yeah. Have you ever looked back at things you've done and been like, wow, I really did that? Because I look back at some of the stuff I've done and I'm like, I would never. And I'm like, <laughs> all the time, all the time, especially as a kid. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's another I don't subject. Know. I don't think I can make the same like gutsy decision. Like I, I moved out of my hometown at like 17 and I was like, girl, what were you doing? You had less than a thousand dollars. You really were going off of dreams back then. <laughs> but it worked out. So, okay, Kat. So we're going to move into the final questions of the podcast. And these are the same questions that I ask every single guest that come on. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, Kat. Question number one. Everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. What is your definition? Yeah, so um, really my definition of financial peace is kind of just when you don't owe other people money, right? Um, So that for me particularly looks like a net worth of of at least zero. Um, And maybe that emergency fund we were talking about earlier, because it's just like, I know that if push came to shove and the world went wild, if I sold all of my assets, I can clear out all my debts and hopefully have a little bit left over to last a month, you know? And so for me, that's really the, the piece I, I can tell you as somebody who just accomplished like that zero net worth just a few months back and cleared out um, the credit card debt. And I can tell you right now, if I sold it all, you know, I, I'd have like, you know, a few grand in the bank and I'd be good to go. Right. And it's freeing, you know, it really is just freeing to know that you are, are no longer um, as deep in the struggle. We're all struggling forward, but you're not uh, as deep as you were. And that's such a, a good peace of mind, all future money saving goals aside. You know what? Let, let's, let's dig a little bit into that because you said something that was really amazing. You led with not owing anyone any money. 
But you followed that by saying, if I sold everything that I own, I would no longer owe anyone money. So Mm -hmm. you currently owe people money, but you still have financial peace because you know that if you sold all of your assets, that would no longer be the case. And that the possibility of being able to do it has brought you financial peace. Do you think that's accurate? 100%. That's it. Because for me right now, I owe my, my student loans primarily. Maybe it would be different if I owed money to like a, a family member or a friend or whatever. Right. Um, but it, for me, it's the student loans and it's the knowledge that if push came to shove, if even right now, if I really wanted to, I could go sell off all of my investments, my retirement account and pay it off and I'm done. You know, realistically, I know that that's maybe not the most logical choice because my investments can grow, blah, 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 0% interest rate, all the things that we talked about. So that's not, not the path that I'm taking. Um, but I think that's really, you know, uh, maybe I have a different mindset around debt, but it, it goes down to leverage. Um, and I'm sure, you know, we've, you've probably discussed that in the past where it's like, okay, is all debt bad? right? Um, How can you leverage debt to your advantage? And you see really well-off people doing this all of the time. Real estate is a great great example. You will find people out there who are millionaires, but also have million dollars in loans for real estate, right? And so it's really, okay, well, are they running around feeling completely crippled by the $3 in debt that they're carrying? No, because they know they have other assets, right? And so I think that that's one of the things that also isn't discussed as much is really something I've only really keyed into recently is that a lot of wealthy people use leverage to make their debts work for them. Right. And it's just, it's really under discussed because you can really invest a lot and, and, and make a good amount of money off of that. But when you talk about these extremes of wealth, it's, it's from people who are using leverage in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. So question two, if there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth and they have no clue where to get started, what would you tell them? Yeah, wow. So this is a really good one. Um, So there's a few different ways to get started um, on building your wealth. And so what I would really focus in on is is first getting on your feet. Um, Quite frankly, like we were talking about earlier, it's just not fun to make like financial decisions from a place of I need to pay my rent. Um, So first, get yourself on your feet, get that $1,000 um, of, of emergency fund going and and really get to the point where you're not worried about next month. Right. Um, from there, the biggest thing you can do is get good at finding opportunities. So for me, I like to define opportunities as any moment where you can find a yes, when someone else is saying no. Right. So if someone says no, they're not saying that something's impossible, they're probably saying something's difficult or it'll take too long or it's too annoying or they just don't want to do it. And you should really listen to that because there's money there. Um, so going back to why I'm in, I, I did and, and still do sales, why? Everyone's like, sales sucks. You call people, they don't answer. You email, they don't answer. You meet with them, they're like rude to you. It's not fun all of the times, right? Most people don't want to do it. Sales pays very good, especially if you get very good at it. But you'll find that in so many different like 
things that you can do is like, you need to be the yes person. If there is a money-making opportunity, I kid you not, I still pick up side gigs where like currently like my hourly rate is, is on my website. It's 75 an hour. I'm not afraid to go pick up a $30 side gig at some point. Maybe that won't make financial sense for me anymore. But if I have the free time and the energy, I'm not above 30 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks. If I think that it's going to help me make my financial situation better. Um, so you really have to have a hustle mindset. And I've honestly been shocked at how many people, you know, are like maybe not in the best position and they'll be like, I don't want to take that extra shift or, oh, I don't want to work on the weekend. In college, if there was an opportunity to make money, I was there. <laughs> and count on me for sure. Um, so get used to looking for opportunities and, and really cultivate that yes mindset till you get to the point where you can start turning things down. <laughs> I love that. I, I... Yeah, it's, it's all about putting your pride to the side. It's like a lot of people are broke because they're prideful. And, oh, I'm too good for that job or I'm too, uh, that's not worth my time. Well, mm -hmm. if you're giving your time to Netflix, then obviously you have enough time to, you know, have someone pay you for it. So yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. If I'm sitting here and I've got time for a TV show, do I got time to make $15 TV show? 15 bucks. Pretty easy math for me. <laughs> exactly. So third question, Kat, if there's one thing you could advise everyone to avoid doing to start building wealth, what would it be? Yeah. So um, one of the things that I would really say is that, you know, if you want to focus on what you're going to avoid, you should think about really lifestyle inflation. It is hands down the wildest thing. I've heard people talk. I'm glad I heard about this before. Like I graduated from college because that $15,000 I saved before I skipped off to travel the world at 24, it was purely thanks to somebody like telling me about lifestyle inflation, which is basically this concept of when you start to make more money, you start to buy nice things. And that's not, that's not bad, but some people end up just spending as much as they start to earn. Right. And so what I did was when I graduated from college, I lived in the same extremely crappy closet size. I kid you guys not. I will tell you, I didn't even have a bathroom in my apartment. It was a shared bathroom in the hall. It was a whole situation. And I stayed there for over a year after college because my rent was half of what the market rate was. And that's where my savings and investing came from. I was never home. It was an awful place. <laughs> but I, I was like, I am not going to, you know, throw my newly found income out the door so that I can have like, I don't know, a toilet. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I will literally sacrifice a toilet to be able to save my cash. I'm not saying you should go do that. Please have a toilet in your house if you can. Um, but, you know, you really have to like figure it out. Like, Hey, if, if you're used to this lifestyle and you get a raise, can you just hold off on, on getting the new apartment for a year or six months, whatever it is, can you shift some of that money towards your retirement account and maybe just like enjoy a cute little 500 and put the rest away? You know, how can you prevent yourself from really starting to live like this, this luxurious lifestyle and be content on just, you know, a small little bonus for yourself and then save the rest. 
Yeah. And, and I want to emphasize, it's not forever. You're not asking people to make this sacrifice for the rest of their life. We don't expect you to raise, you know, yourself, your wife and three kids all in a one bedroom apartment where you have to share the bathroom. We're just saying for six months, for a year, give yourself time to get ahead and then you can start um, inflating your lifestyle to the point where it's a necessity. I was talking with, um, I have a financial advisor I brought on the podcast many times, a good buddy named mm-hmm. Joey. And he talks about, because he works with physicians a lot. And he, he brought forth this idea of um, lifestyle inflation to where if you do not allocate money that you're going to be making beforehand, your life will naturally absorb that money whether Mm -hmm. it's in a new car payment or more groceries or whatever that thing is, if you do not plan for the money before it starts coming in, your lifestyle will naturally absorb it. And he sees it so often with people who are doctors or lawyers who they start out making 50, 60, $70,000 a year, and then they go up to 200,000. Well, if they did yeah. not allocate for that extra $130,000, their lifestyle would instantly start absorbing that. And that's what the lifestyle inflation thing is. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, that's the trap, right? This is why you have doctors and surgeons and lawyers who are working to the normal retirement age. They're making multiples more than the average income but they're still working towards the retirement that everyone else is, you know, and that's, that's a massive issue. Um, And it's really something that you have to consider is like, you know, where do you want to be 40, 50 years down the road, right? Because earlier retirement is is possible, um, but we don't talk about it and nobody is showing you the tools. Why? Because all of these companies are making money off of you not having your own money, right? You know, even your job is benefiting from you not putting into, you know, a 401k because I have to keep this job and I have to stay employed, right? And that's what I really think that we're starting to see with this whole great resignation situation is that people have saved their money or they see other avenues to make money working for themselves. And it's just not the the trade-off that it used to be. You know, a, a job, a nine to five job isn't as secure as we all thought it was. And we all saw that happen in 2020 where businesses shut down, hiring freezes. It's just not what, what it used to be. Um, and so you really have to, to keep that lifestyle inflation down and focus on, on yourself as well, investing in yourself. Ah, I couldn't have said it better myself, Kat. I really couldn't. So last question. If there's someone out there that doesn't believe that they can reach financial peace due to their age, their race, religion, uh, sexual orientation, et cetera, what would you say to change their mind? Start small. You know, it's, it's not about how much you can save. It's about developing the habit of saving, right? You can always go increase your income later. You can always add those skills on later. But if you never learn how to save that $1, that $5, whatever it is, it really comes down to discipline, right? Because it's, it's not fun. Like at the beginning, it's not fun. It really isn't. And for me, and, and probably you as well, I think a lot of people in the personal finance community gets to this mentality of like, it almost becomes like a game. You know, it's like, okay, um, I'm at like, $500 close to 1000. How can we get there? 
you know, and this game that we're kind of playing snowballs. And as it, it kind of builds, like you start to see the, the little rewards, whether that's like a $20 dividend payment that just came out of nowhere, or just the security of knowing that like when a, a crazy world event hits, you have some cash stacked away, you know, it really starts to like change your mentality. And even, Hey, maybe you don't want to retire early, whatever it may be. Um, but you'll, you'll have this level of confidence where even with your like nine to five job, you can ask for that raise because you're not sitting there like, Oh, I have nothing. Right. But to get to that point, you have to figure out how to save. And I don't care if you're making like borderline nothing, you know, you can, whether it's pennies under your bed, right. Um, in a piggy bank, whatever it is, just start to develop that habit. Even when things push you back because unexpected expenses come, you've got to keep trying and you've got to keep building the habit. I love that. Just start, like just start whatever it is. If it's a dollar, um, I, I talked about it in my compound interest, um, episode, episode two, I don't remember. It's hard to remember these things. I think it's episode <laughs> two. But I, I, I gave the example, like if you just save a dollar a day, if you invest a dollar a day for 30 years, you'll end up with almost $150,000. And it's hard to fathom, but it's like everyone, I just, I say this very arrogantly and maybe cocky, but I just believe every single person in the United States, at least, can manage to save a dollar a day. You can find a dollar yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Like, you know, it it's, it's there. And, and if you, if you don't have it in your current budget, go collect some cans, walk around till you five, five cents on the ground. Money is there and it's, it's everywhere. And you, you should, you know, do what you can to maximize your opportunities. Right. And like, I, I um, heard like this really cool thing where it's like, okay, if I was to ask you, James, would you rather have a million dollars right now? or a penny that will double every day for 30 days, which would you choose? And well, everyone's like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> give me the million bucks. But it turns out that if you have that penny that doubles every single day, at the end of that 30 days, it's worth way more than a million, right? And this is like kind of when you're thinking about money is like all these numbers, like who can be a millionaire, who can be a billionaire, like they sound so insane, but it all starts with you saving that penny. I love it. Yeah. And uh, if you guys haven't heard of the example she just gave, go look it up. You, you will be absolutely astonished by the answer because compound interest is just, just such a beautiful thing. Um, and that's a great oh, example. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and our brain, our brain, unfortunately, isn't evolved enough to instantly think uh, and understand compound interest. So Kat, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so there's um, a few different places that you can find me. And so the first is obviously my blog. Um, you can find me at cashforcat.com. That's cash for cat and the cat is with a K. Um, and then for my more sales consulting type stuff, you can find me at catrucker.com. Um, or of course on my LinkedIn, my name is Catherine K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Um, no E's involved. <laughs> Rucker, R-U-C-K-E-R. So happy to connect on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter, um, Google me. I think I pop up. <laughs> 
you might find some stuff from college and when I did sports, but that's how you know you found me. <laughs> I love that. Google me, baby. Google me. No, and of course, guys, I'm going to, you guys don't have to look for this very far. I'm going to have all of her uh, information she just listed uh, linked in the show notes below. That way you guys can find it super duper easily. Kat, this has been such an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. Like I, this, this was great. This was really great. You brought so many good nuggets and yeah, that's, I, I don't, I can't find the words to describe it. It's been awesome. Thank you. I've had such a blast. I just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm here to help people. It sounds like you're here to help people. And I'm just hoping that if this can even impact one person's life for the better, Hey, we might've just made someone become a millionaire through this podcast. You don't know. That's the best there part. It is. <laughs> there it is. But you, but you won't know. You won't know today. You know, you won't know tomorrow, but in 30 years, somebody might come up to you. Are you cat? You're, you know, you're reading your blog, you know, gave me this net worth and I'm not working for today. I'm not working for tomorrow. This podcast isn't for today and tomorrow. It's for 10 years when someone can finally say, look, you helped me out. You got me out of the situation I was in. And that's what it's all about. And that's what I love about the financial independence community is like, we realize anyone can do it. And so we would go to extreme lengths to prove it. And Oh yeah, we're here for you. And we're cheering you on. Even if no one else is and you don't feel it, we're all here for you. Absolutely. Well, Kat, I'm going to get up out of here. I really appreciate your time today. And I hope you have the blessed rest of your weekend. Thanks, you as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And guys, that was my interview with Miss Kat Rucker from Cash for Cat. <laughs> I mean, guys, her story is literally like a Disney fairy tale where she takes a risk, goes, starts traveling the world, ends up getting engaged, uh, finding a love of her life, and now she's planning on getting married, as we talked about. And all along the way, she has figured out ways to pay off credit card debt, $15,000. She's started her own business and all of these other things. And this takes into account COVID, you know, the things going on between Russia and Ukraine and all of the hiccups that we've had along the last couple of years. So I would never suggest people do what she did because she did take a massive, massive risk. But as we talked about, guys, it was calculated. She didn't just go out there and have no backup plan. She said, like, if this didn't work, I knew I could move back to the States, pay off that credit card debt and gear and go on from there. Right. She didn't have to go with that plan B, but she had a plan B, guys. So always, always, always have a plan B. With that being said, if you guys did enjoy the interview, make sure you guys leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it is on Facebook, on Spotify, Apple Music, um, Google Podcasts, wherever you guys are listening, make sure you guys leave a rating. That way the podcast can get out to more people, okay? Also, as I state on every podcast, I do offer one-on-one -on -one financial coaching for anyone who listens to the podcast and they just need that little extra oomph to get you on the journey to financial peace. So make sure you guys take advantage of that coaching if you see fit. But I mean, hey, look guys, 
it is what it is. I really hope you guys enjoyed the session and I'm going to get up out of here. I'm James Bowman, your host. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys. Later, guys.